on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hacker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We recap what we heard from Brent Venables and OU's players at Big 12 Media Day. We also give you some of our other takeaways from the other Big 12 teams, and we give you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download it and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, July 17th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of July, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now we're recording this late Sunday afternoon. Please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Ted Lehman, how we doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Um, another really good weekend. Uh, some good sports stuff going on. We got plenty of football stuff to cover, so things are great. Plenty of football to cover. Uh, spent about 24 hours at Grand Lake over the weekend. Got got a little wake surfing in, and this did just you? in. I'm not very good at it. However, I did get up, and like I feel like it's one of those things where if I can just go for two or three days in a row, I know I'm going to have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you get but, it, you got it. Yeah. But I had about a 10 to 15-minute window. Kind of popped up pretty good the first couple times, and then started getting a little tired and starting to get frustrated. And yeah. me, I, people may not know this. I could, uh, I could have a bit of a hot streak when it comes to uh competitive situations like that. So, but progress was made. I am, I'm positive outlook on my wake surfing future. That's good. It's fun, man. It's mellow. It's there's there's a bit of a learning curve there, but once you get it, you know, and I'm not saying that I've got it or anything. I've I've only done it a handful of times, but it's a lot of fun. I I think I'm going to switch my feet. I think I'm going to put my right foot in the front. I was just like a psychopath afterwards. I was just kind of like standing, moving around like this. <laughs> I was like, which way feels more natural? I I was, it was so stupid. <laughs> I think I'm going to try right foot in the front. I think that will be be better for me. But who knows? Who knows? Probably won't I, try I wish I could give summer. you some advice, but I I do not know. <laughs> yeah, 
my my wife was like, you you should probably relax more. I was like, I am relaxed. <laughs> Don't I look relaxed? Huh? Can't you tell I'm relaxed? I'm having fun out here. Yeah, no, but yeah, I I am uh I'm gonna try to get better at that. I just don't know the next time I'm gonna do it. All right, enough of that. OU football time. Brent Venables, Dylan Gabriel, Drake Stoops, Danny Stetsman, and Jonah Laulu were down in Arlington for Big Twelve Media Day last week. I was down there covering both days for Sirius XM. Uh, Ted, let's just start here. Anything you heard from the OU representatives? That really stood out to you. Obviously, Venables had a lot to say, as he always does, and certainly had some comments that caught people's attention. I mean, there's no doubt about doubt about it. Yeah, I I think that you could you could definitely tell that he feels better about this football team right now than he did a year ago. You know, last year. Probably should have paid a little bit more attention to it, but he was pounding home how inexperienced they were, how few guys that they have out there that, that, you know, have experienced the lack of depth that they've got Um, totally different this year, talking about good competitive depth at a bunch of different positions. And I think that tells, tells a pretty big story there. Just whenever you look at both offensively and defensively, just some of the returners they have, you know, it's they're in a much better spot with, you know, even if you were just to look at the handful of leadership kind of big role guys, they're in a better spot there. Yeah, that was the thing that kept coming up. And when he sat down with us to do a serious interview, it was one of the first things he brought up, right? And you saw the phrase all day from him, better competitive depth. And I, I think some people hear that and they're like, okay, what what does that exactly mean? Right. And essentially to me, the most important thing, my, my takeaway when I hear that is you, you should have more competition at every position, right? Which should elevate the level of play across the board. And then you should be better late in games because of the depth, because of the competition, and you should be better late in the season. Uh, and that means it, to me, it also means you should be a healthier football team, right? Because you feel more comfortable playing some more guys in different spots. So yeah, hearing, hearing the phrase better competitive depth, it's, there's a lot that is within that phrase for me, Ted. Well, yeah, I, I mean, just look at the quarterback position, you know, with, with Jackson Arnold doing the things that everyone has, has said and impressing. And it's not just quarterback. There's several different positions, but when you've got competitive depth, there's a bit of a safeguard from having catastrophic failures. Whenever you lose a player somewhere, uh, you've got, when you've got competitive depth, you've got guys that can step in, fill the role may not necessarily thrive, but can, can patch a hole and you can continue on as a football team. When you don't have competitive depth, you lose a tackle or you lose a a defensive end or, or, you know, a maybe a really important skill position player that you get a lot of production from. You don't have depth. You you're, 
you don't have a way out of that hole. It can be catastrophic for a football team, but whenever you do, I mean, it doesn't mean that there's no fall off from starter to second team guy. It just means that second team guy and third team guy, you still have a chance to win football games whenever you have to fill some spots, whenever a starter may go down. Right. And when you've got 40 new scholarship players, it's, and you're still hearing the head coach say, hey, we feel much better about the competitive depth of the team. Uh, that's that's a very positive sign. You know, I don't know. You, you know how coaches, and you heard a lot of it throughout Big 12 Media Days, like, hey, well, last year it's not going to win us football games this year. Like, if you had a good season a year ago. No, I was talking to Chris Kleiman, right? And he said, no. This year's team, we haven't we haven't done anything, right? That was last year's team that won the Big Twelve Championship. And that and I think that's the approach you have to take. But Venables, just knowing all those stats of where they barely came up short from a year ago and just being able to rattle them off over and over, you know, the the one point losses, all these types of things that I don't know, his obsession with the details that had them falling short a year ago. I I don't know. It makes me feel better about their attention to detail going into this season. I know that sounds stupid, but as he just rattled them off over and over again, I don't know. It just made me feel that there's just an obsession with the details and what it's going to take to improve as a program. And I, it made me feel better in a weird way. I don't know why. Well, I think it's interesting, and a lot of times, uh, stuff like whenever uh, a coach is doing a press conference or talking to the media, a lot of times he's talking to his own players, right? And I think that you can do both things. You can demand excellence, but at the same time, you can look back on something and say, hey, it wasn't good. We put ourselves in a bunch of bad situations. We own all of that, but he, and you know, this is just the difference between winning and losing. Look how close we were. And I don't think it it's a, I don't think it's a anything to suggest that last year they did everything right. And just didn't get the breaks. I think it's a little bit of a confidence thing for his own team. Because going six and seven at Oklahoma is a little bit different than going six and seven almost anywhere else to where I your fans like it it sticks out like a sore thumb, right? And you don't want your players dwelling on that too much and feeling like they aren't they're they're not capable. So I think a lot of it may just be you know, talking to his team a little bit that we're way better than we were a year ago and look how close we were a year ago to to doing a to making that season look not that they would have won the conference or anything, but it would have looked a lot better than just a, a six and seven season. So I think that's some of it maybe. Yeah. No, I think that's uh yeah, that's a that's a solid observation. I, I will say as far as a confidence and demeanor standpoint. I can tell you Britt Venables doesn't walk around 
Big 12 media day like he's a guy that went six and seven a year ago. Still a, a very confident and charismatic guy, as you can imagine, Ted. He was uh he was very comfortable in the setting. Well, that's good. I you know, it's sometimes you can you can almost smell the fear going in there, right, with people, and it's good if someone uh is comfortable being there. It it tells you a lot about their mentality and I mean, it doesn't tell you everything, but if someone's comfortable in a setting like that, whenever they're going to get grilled and almost every question is, my God, last year was just horrible. Uh, what happens if that happens again this year, you know, and to go down there and, and not be dreading those types of questions, I think is is good. Yeah. And that's, that's really what stood out to me about Dylan Gabriel. He just seemed so comfortable, man, looked great. Suit was fantastic. Had the custom like Louis Vuitton Nike collaborations on. I don't know what they were, but they were sweet. But it, he just he seems so much more comfortable at this time as compared to a year ago, right? It, especially, you know, the, you you know the expectations when it comes to playing quarterback at OU, right? It, it is well documented by this point, but I, I think him finally going through it, having that season under his belt, even though it didn't go as well as he wanted it to go. I think he just kind of understands what's what, and he just feels way more comfortable as the leader of the football team. Right. And as we were interviewing him, he just was just, he's always chill. Right. But he was just so confident and sure of himself. And I don't know, he just kind of seems like a different guy this year as compared to a year ago. Yeah, I last year, you know, looking back on it, there's a lot thrown on Dylan Gabriel. You know, you have a you have a, a head coaching change. You've got a new offense. You've got all all kinds of different players coming from all kinds of different schools trying to learn a system, trying to learn a system that everyone thought you already knew, which isn't necessarily the case. I mean, he he dabbled in some of the same schemes but you know having to having to show up somewhere and and be the leader without like gaining that organically so it just doesn't really doesn't necessarily work right whenever it feels like you're just kind of I don't know forced into a position and just listening to him it feels way more organic that he's the leader of the football team now yeah and I I asked him Kind of about his wide receiver core and you know, a little bit of the lack of respect that they're getting headed into the season. And he's very confident that that group's going to show up in a big way. Very confident. So now I, he would know better than us, Ted. I, th I still think you and I are kind of at the, Hey, we, we want to see it before we're going to really buy in on that wide receiver core, especially at the, who knows who's going to emerge as the guy or even if a guy emerges in that way. But yeah, he, he seemed pretty dead confident that they were going to be just fine at wide receiver. It, it made me feel better about it, but I also, I'm kind of like, okay, he's the quarterback. He's got to say these things. He's got to say, he's got all the faith of the world in these guys uh, mentioned Petaway, right? which stood out to me because we haven't seen that guy at all, right, as a true freshman. So, 
I don't know, man. It, it, it made me wonder that maybe we're a little low on this wide receiver group, but I'm going to maintain my position of, Hey, you're going to have to, you're going to have to show me something before I, before I buy into that group. But DG, he was adamant that he felt really good about not only the talent level, but the depth, like the number of guys that they're going to have contributing. So thought that, thought that was interesting. Well, you know, in hindsight, whenever you look back at last season, uh, I think, I don't know if everyone would agree, but for me, and I think you, uh, the wide receivers left a lot of meat on the bone last year. Drops, not being able to win one-on-ones. I mean, there, there was a lot there. But they did lose their position coach right as training camp started. Right. Yeah. Uh, not to mention being in a first year of, of, of an offense, still trying to find that rhythm. I mean, last year there was just, there was so much happening. And, you know, at the time I, I, I probably didn't factor in what that was going to mean to that group enough. And, and that's not to make excuses for them, but I feel like they've got a talented group. I feel like they have a really good coach feel like there's there's some stability right now i mean all of the ingredients are there for them to have a much better season than they did last year now uh guys have to go out there and win and make plays and you know there's there's also the the rest of the offense the offensive line has to be really good the running game i think you know even though we led the big 12 last year i think we can be a lot better running the football, especially in some critical areas. If all of that happens, the receivers should come up with the rest of that group and should have a good year. We'll see, though. Yeah. I We'll see. I, I hope you and I reach a point during the season where we feel as good about the wide receiver room as Dylan Gabriel does right now. Okay. That's, yeah. that, that's what I'm hoping. That's good. I that's hope what that I'm hoping. as well. Now, I, I – I was bummed. I didn't get to interview Laulu. I didn't even really get to talk to him because he was doing interviews. We were doing like seven, you know, eight straight hours of radio, and we didn't really have breaks. It was like interview after interview after interview lined up. So I didn't get a chance to go chat with him about the weight gain and how the summer was going. But I, I did take a couple good long hard looks at the young man. Not gonna lie. Maybe, maybe at points of time, too long of looks, but <laughs> I will not apologize for the way that I am that he, he looks like he's a cheeseburger away from 300 and he is a big, dude. but doesn't look fat, just looks dense, man. And I kept coming back to this. Everything Brent Venables does from our experience, I would say like he doesn't do anything by accident, right? There is always, there's a purpose behind what he does. Right. And I just, I can't get it out of my head that Laulu was there. You know what I mean? Out of all of the defensive linemen, you know, you've, you've got the entire football team you can bring. And he was one of the four guys there. So with, you combine that with how good he looks carrying that amount of weight. 
I just, it, it looks very natural on him. And the fact that he was there, that Venable said, no, 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 you're going to be one of the four guys that comes and speaks for your team. I don't know, dude. It just makes me, it makes me have really high expectations for him this season. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but yeah. he was there. I'm expecting him to be a key piece of that defense. And yeah. he'll be, he'll easily, he'll be 300 pounds easy by the time we kick this thing off. Yeah. Uh, quick follow-up on that. For weight gain, it's hard in the summer. You're lifting and everything, which... It's all know, the it's, running, man. It's, yeah, hard, to, it's hard to really add when you're running that much. You sweat so much. And then training camp, which is different now. You know, they they have a way more downtime. So I, I was just wondering, like, when does the weight gain really start to... Like, once you get in season, is it easier to start putting on then or... No. It it has to be in it's it's not an enjoyable experience, but you have to treat it as a job. And I'm not sure I've ever told this story, but when when Lane Johnson made the move to offensive line eventually, right? And I I was a guy that I it was it was hard for me to keep the weight on. It just was like I had to be very intentional with the times I ate and how much I ate to to stay at 295-ish, right, or get over 300. And Lane and I, we would wake up at 3 a.m., chug shakes, and go back to bed. But you have to you have to take it seriously. Like, you, you just do, and it's not fun. It's not enjoyable, but you're, you're just hoping that taking it that seriously will pay off, right? So for Lulu during the summer, it's going to suck, man. But when you're done working out, like you got to eat, you got to go into those workouts with the proper amount of fuel in your body so that you're burning that, right? You got to be eating right. You got to be eating often. It, it sucks. It's not fun. Some people be like, Oh, you're complaining about gaining weight. Boo hoo. It I'm telling you, <laughs> you're just like, can we please stop eating grilled chicken for the love of God, please. But yeah, you, you have to treat it as, it, it it becomes part of the routine, right? Like, hey, dude, stuff your face and add the weight. Now you got to do it intelligently. Don't don't go to McDonald's at midnight a couple of times a week like Lumi and Lane did every once in a while. <laughs> well, still I, that's when the one on Lindsay started serving breakfast. Then, oh, so good. You but, guys kept him in business, huh? Well, uh, it sounds like a he's little... doing a lot, right? I mean, there's been. There's a bunch of guys that have put on, what's he put on, like 15, 18 pounds or so yeah. since. And he looks good. Uh, sometime in the spring. So, yeah. I And what, was he right around 295? Yeah, I think 293 or so. Yeah. So he'll be 300 by the time camp starts. But and Supposedly, he's one of the stronger dudes on the team, too. Um, and he's got those long arms, 6'6". Six, six. I'm. I'm optimistic about it. I, I'm I'm anxious to see how he does. Yeah. Anything else that you heard? You know, Drake Stoops said the wide receiver room is loaded, very similar to what Dylan Gabriel was saying. So clearly the guys in that building believe in themselves, which is who cares what we think. That's really all that matters. That's right. But anything you heard from Stutzman that stood out, seems like he's much more comfortable within the defense. and. He dyed his hair blonde. 
because of course he did. Guys, a guys a wild. I card. thought it was already blonde. Fish. I don't know that whatever's going on top of the head there. That's not natural. There's there's some there's the, the color happening. has been altered in some form or fashion. Oh, I'm convinced. Okay, I gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean, I I Venable's comments about him. I totally on point with with everything that I think. I think he'll he's he's kind of the guy now. He's he's matured. He understands the defense way more than he did a year ago. Um, you know, I, I have no worries about him entering the season. Now, I, I'm i curious to see how the Mike Backer position works out, and that's a responsibility that he's going to have to to take some ownership in. But um, what was it? Was he saying that Lewis Carter uh, hit, what, 350 on bench six times as a true freshman that weighs like 200? 15 pounds, maybe not even. That's impressive. Uh, Yeah. I mean, we knew that guy was explosive just from what the coaching staff had told us about his recruitment. They're like, hey, this guy's like freaky explosive. But yeah, to hear those numbers, that's moving weight. Now, I want to know the power clean numbers. Forget the bench numbers. If we're talking linebacker, I want to know what that power clean's looking like, which – my my guess is it's impressive but i can't can't imagine it's not (laughs) yeah but the just speaking of that other inside backer spot a lot of connor near love right and you when when he committed you were one of the few people that were like no no no, this guy this guy's going to be a factor on this defense and just from hearing venables talk about it it certainly sounds like this is a guy that's going to be playing some snaps well, he when you talk about competitive depth, that's one of the guys that you think about. You know, I think that both Canick and Kobe McKenzie, and there's a bunch of guys in that in that linebacker room that they have a much higher ceiling than Connor Neer does. But he can go in there, you know exactly what you're going to get, and he can play winning football for you. That's that's the competitive depth right there. It's kind of a stopgap. Case one of those guys or both of those guys can't take that thing and run with it, you know he gives you a guy that's played a lot of football, smart, uh, plays good fundamental football. Um, you know if Stutzman were to go down or something like that, he just he's the only other guy there that has any real experience playing competitive football at this level. And I know it wasn't Power Five Division One, but no one else has even played hardly a snap, so it's good. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, oh, you related about Big 12 Media Day. Joe Castiglione was there. And, you know, some people were surprised that he was there. And I was surprised that they were surprised that he was there. And and I talked to Joe about it, and I, I love what he had to say. It was basically, hey, I get to spend more time with the coaches and the players, right, and continue to develop those bonds, which is – you know, kind of the fun part of being an athletic director, right? And then he just said he felt it was really, really important to be there. That's the last one, mm-hmm. last Big 12 media day for the program. He just said he felt like it was really important for him to be there and not only to show Venables and those players support, but to, you know, talk to these people that he's worked with for so many years. And I just, I thought it was, it was a great, it was a great example of leadership 
on his behalf. And I'll say there are there are two schools that will be departing next season. He was the only athletic director from those schools there. So just I I, I thought it was it, it's one of the reasons why he's one of the best to do what he does. I mean, yeah. he just it it was I thought it was classy as all hell. Yeah. Well, I wish he would have went over there and slapped around the deputy commissioner of the Big 12 a little bit. What was that? So stupid. That guy's an idiot. Did he used to work at K-State or something like that? I don't know. I feel know. like I saw that on Twitter. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know, but there's there was a, there was a lot of dumb things in that little two-minute, two or three-minute rant that he had. Yeah. He doesn't talk into microphones for a living for a reason, I assume. <laughs> I assume your Mark saw that and was like, really, dude? Really? I mean, come on. What are we yeah, doing? This is pretty bad. Okay, a little recruiting talk. Jaden Jackson, four-star defensive lineman, a 6'2", 300-pounder from IMG Academy, has committed to Oklahoma over Ohio State, Texas, Miami, and Florida. And from everything that I've read, this is a guy that almost didn't even take a visit to OU, and now he's the latest commit in this recruiting class. Another Ted, another impressive get for Todd Bates and Brent Venables. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was fantastic, and it, you know, again, one of the things is a defensive lineman with offers from Ohio State, Texas, Miami, Florida. I we. We have not won many defensive battles against schools uh, of those caliber, especially Ohio State and Florida and like Miami. I, I throw them in there because of their new push with the NIL stuff. Like that's the type of, of teams that you want to go in and win against. So I I think that's big time. I like the kid a lot. No, he's a four star, um, you know, and some people even have him as a three star. I think he's like overall a composite three star, but. He he doesn't look or play like a three star to me. He's incredibly strong, compact, and I think it's overall really good get. Yeah, the one thing I like, you turn it on, you go, that guy doesn't look very fun to block. No, <laughs> I like that. I like when I turn on the highlights and go, mm, that doesn't look very enjoyable to block that guy. And the hair coming out of the back of the helmet. The the Polynesian DT pipeline is I am all about it. I love the trend we're seeing here. And let's be real, it doesn't hurt that you're grabbing a guy from ING IMG for a lot of reasons. Right. We know the amount of talent that comes through that program year in and year out. And then of course, you gotta wonder what it means for OU's chances of landing David Stone. Yeah. I I gotta imagine that landing Jaden Jackson does not hurt your chances of Landon David Stone, right? One of his teammates. So that that continues to to look positive, right? To to it, it seems like OU's in good shape there with David Stone. Now, you won't know till signing day, right? That's how the, all, all this stuff works. You won't you won't know with any of these guys that are committed in the 2024 class uh, until they sign. But there's obviously a natural connection to make there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that is, that's, you know, not to take anything away from, from Jaden Jackson. I mean, 
we absolutely love to have him as a defensive lineman, but you know, that was one of the other reasons that everyone was so excited is because, yep, he's teammates with David stone, another guy that we're in on. And, you know, if that helps or if that is like some foreshadowing as to what may be coming, that's great. Now, I don't know anything about these two guys. Everything that I've heard, though, is that, yeah, they are their teammates, definitely, but they get along great, friends. So, you know, because not all teammates get along great. So, True. you know, that was one of the things that I asked, but it sounds like they've got a really good relationship. And if that's the case, and, you know, it, Oklahoma is at least – in some people's eyes leading on David stone, you would think that that is uh, a good sign for sure. Yeah. I'm with you. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys the most important thing that happened for OU football over the weekend. And this one comes from Dan Booley, who says four defensive tackles being listed on the North side of 300 pounds on the updated roster. I can't remember the last time there were that many defensive linemen going at 300 plus. Ted, you mentioned it. The the weight gain is very real right now. And in fact, uh, George Stoya over there, uh, Sooner Scoop, did, did the hard work on this. And he went and looked at what they were, what the guys were listed at and what their updated weights are. And Lalu, Laulu's up 15 pounds to 292. Reggie Grimes is up seven pounds to 274. Uh, Trace Ford is up six pounds to 257. Stripling's up 16 pounds to 250. Lacey's up eight, still only 280. Slight. Halton is up 16. He's getting there, 287. I like the way he plays. I like the way he plays too. He's been he's been too light. If he can continue to add, that's he's a guy that can help you. Uh, Kelly's up seven he's over 300 pounds at 302 co's up six now a stout 314 let's go isaiah co yeah, and then sears good. is up five to 287 thanks to george stoya for doing the hard work there but yeah that is that's a good trend right the days of having super light defensive linemen are over and it brings a smile to my face now those guys still have to be in great shape you got to get ready to play against teams that are going to go tempo. We all know how this thing works, but bigger humans, Ted. You know that's my motto. Give me the give me the big humans. I like it. Yeah. Yep. And going to continue to get bigger and bigger. There's a lot of guys on this roster that are, um, you know, the young some of the young guys like Adabare. You know, is going to continue to put on weight. Um, uh, our our. Uh, R. Mason Thomas. R. Mason Thomas. He's going to be a guy that continues to put on weight. So, all good things. Like we're getting, we're getting bigger. We're getting stronger across that defensive line. Like I think, like where we are right now in the front seven. I, I we don't have any first round draft picks on on our defensive line right now. But you want to talk about competitive depth? When you look at the all the different options we have at edge, and and what we've got on the interior now, I think we're in a far superior position than we were a year ago. Feels that way to me. Right. And yeah. it's kind of how Venables was making it sound at Big 12 Media Day that he was feeling much better about 
what the front seven's looking like. And that man, he typically shoots you straight with that type of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm expecting them, expecting them to be a lot better at the line of scrimmage. Now we'll see. That's why they play the games. All right. Birthday shout outs. Happy first birthday to Jensen Galvin. Happy 10th birthday to Ellie Kate Ray. Happy 25th birthday to Drew Markwell. Happy 51st birthday to Shane Turley. And happy birthday to Alina Hickman. All right, let's uh let's talk about some of our other takeaways from Big 12 Media Day. But first, Love's Travel Stops is now offering a nationwide 10 cent per gallon discount on gas and auto diesel. Just download the Love's Connect app and scan your barcode at the prompt on screen and watch that price drop 10 cents per gallon. Across the country, the Love's Connect app unlocks exclusive deals and can help any traveler print their route or meal on the highway. So before you hit the road, be sure to download the Love's Connect app to save 10 cents per gallon and experience the country's best highway hospitality at Love's Travel Stops. Love's also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones with their expanded mobile to-go zone. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Amore. Opolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma breakdown merchandise and is the best place to get your OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O P O L. ISclothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. It's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And hey, you hungry out there? Of course you are. Then head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. We're going to the garage for dinner tonight, Ted. How about that? Yeah, it's going to be delicious. The food is fantastic, and it is the perfect spot to watch any big game. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. All right, Big 12 Media Day takeaways for all of the other people I talked to. So got to talk to all 14 head coaches, bunch of the players. I think we talked to nine athletic directors, so it was a lot of fun, a lot of a lot of interviews, but it was a lot of fun. And one thing I want to point out, when you walk in to AT&T Stadium, the elevator you have to take to get down to the field, right? Ted, you want to take a guess which teams were put at the very far end? <laughs> uh, I'm guessing uh, Oklahoma and Texas were out of sight and out of mind or it trying was, to be out of sight and out of mind. Yes, Texas was at the very end. On day one and OU all the way down at the end on day two, even though they put them all the way down there, still had by far the largest crowds around them when they did the breakout interview sessions. But I thought that I thought it was really funny. I enjoyed it. Like I, I'm a fan of that type of petty from the big 12 conference at this point in time. Like it it really did make me giggle because we saw Texas all the way down there and it wasn't in alphabetical order or anything. And we saw him all the way down there on day one. And my my co-host on Big 12 Radio, Ari Timken, was like, if they put OU down there tomorrow, I was like, oh, they're going to. And they absolutely did. It was it, it was pretty funny. Yeah, well, you know, it's probably as much for, um, like, there's, 
definitely pettiness, but I'm guessing they don't want everyone to congregate. Like, if you know they're going to get the biggest crowds, like, there's going to be people down at the end like, hey, hello, come see us if uh, if you don't have to walk past their, their spot at all. But, no, that's, that's just how it's going to go. I just don't want it to spill over onto the field. All right. Correct. I, and I had a, I had a chat, uh, with the head of officiating, you know, just throwing some of the conspiracy theories out there that, that some OU fans or some Texas fans may have. I was like, how do you handle that? Like, what do you think that like, man, we don't have time to think about that. We just, we just, we got to make the call that we see. I'm like, okay. Okay. So I, I planted that seed. Don't do that. Don't do that. Maybe call a hold against OU this year. Just one. That's all we want. <laughs> all right. But yes. And and this may be strange. And I am not a I am not a body language expert. And I know that certain certain people just don't like talking in public. Like I get that, right? I, I completely understand that that's not something that a lot of people are comfortable doing. My number one takeaway from Big 12 Media Day was Quinn Ewers was the most uncomfortable guy that we talked to. Very nervous was like, it was having trouble getting through sentences was like clearing his throat was playing with his arm hair, like fidget. I was like, what is going on with this guy? And, and, and I I had heard that he's a shy guy, right? I've heard that before. So that's not, I, I wasn't shocked, but I just compared him to every other quarterback we talked to. And he was the outlier by a wide margin. And man, I I just find it difficult that the guy that was that nervous to talk to us is going to go into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but it stood out to all of us that were interviewing. We were like, man, he was he was a little uncomfortable, but oh. There, there was just there was some the nervousness that he displayed talking to three nobodies. I don't know, it made me nervous for him going and playing in that type of environment against that type of football team. I, I know it may sound ridiculous, but it just stood out so much, man. It was like my number one takeaway from the two days. That's wild. I, you know, there's a difference between uh, not wanting to do it and like being nervous and afraid to do it and like uncomfortable doing it. That's wild. Cause it just, it doesn't, it doesn't line up with like what the public portrayal of him is like no. right? with the colored mullet and all that stuff. Like mullet's gone. I thought he was, well, I'm saying like, no, as I know he was coming out. I thought he was like Baker Mayfield type of guy, you know? Yeah. And, it's such a contrast to that that I don't know what to make of it. I have, I've really never had as a player, and now as a media member, like I've never really had an interaction with the starting quarterback that felt like that. Wow, it was interesting. And hey, maybe maybe the field is where like all that stuff goes away for him, yeah. right? And that that could be very possible, but it, it was just. I don't know how to say it. It's just kind of weird. It's just like, wow, he is, he is not comfortable in this setting. So I'm guessing he, since he was that uncomfortable, he didn't really give you anything of any substance to go off of. I'm guessing. Well, he, 
I mean, he gave us some stuff, but we even asked him about the the quarterback room, right? And Arch Manning coming in, and what's that like? He's like, oh, we're all we're all friends. It's fine. It's like, <laughs> what? But there was no mention of like, yeah, you know, no, but it's my job. Like, I I'm the guy. There's nothing like that. You just, I don't know. It was it was so non quarterback, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. But wow. hey, if Maybe he goes down there and lights up the Crimson Tide, but I, I would not bet any money on it after that interaction. <laughs> it was just, it was strange, man. It really was, but especially like you compare it. was the first time I've ever talked to John Rice Plumley from UCF. The dude, he basically started running the interview. He was so confident. I mean, like that's where it, it was just you. You compare that to what we got from yours. It was just. I don't know. It was night and day, man. It was it was strange. Yeah, that kid's but, supposed to be a stud, right? Hey, but both both uh, sports, two sport athlete. He's an ultra confident dude, yeah. and something I'm sure UCF fans were really excited to hear. Said he's going to do a better job protecting himself. He went through like how many games he played, banged up, or wasn't able to go in. He was like, "Yeah," he basically said, "I got to stop running like a dummy." <laughs> so. <laughs> He's gonna be he's gonna be smarter with his decision making when he's running the football. And that's a and it wasn't during the interview, it was off headset, but I had a very similar conversation with Jalen Daniels. Now, it was hard to work through the distraction. He was wearing a giant diamond chain with an Apple Watch screen as the pendant with his highlights running on it, which it was hard to talk to the guy because you're like just staring at it the entire time. You're like, what is that? It was actually it was very cool. But yeah, I, that was the most important thing I heard from him is that he's really working on protecting himself, right? And even though Jason Bean played really good when he came in for him a year ago, he just he realizes how important he is to his team and how he needs to be smarter when it comes to the decisions he makes when he's running the ball. So I heard that from Plumley and from Daniels. It was interesting. But Jalen Daniels, that dude was – he was dressed to impress. That's for damn sure. I can't get past that. I remember seeing it, and I just—I just. Where does that conversation start? Is it something that he envisioned? Did someone approach him and say, "Hey, you should do this"? Was his dad? His dad sent it to him, and he was like, "But it just—it had some other thing playing on it." And then the guy is from—I think a jewelry store out in LA, out from where he's from—and he was like, "Here." Uh, they put your highlights on. He was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take that. That's sweet. And huh. to his credit, it, it turned out very good. That's interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I you can't. You seem like you may hate it. Just the look well, on your face. I just could never. I could never. If that was like the most prized thing in the world, I just could not walk into a place playing my own highlights as it's draped around my neck. I That seems like the douchiest thing in the world to do. It, but, so I had a very similar reaction. I was like, really? But then he's like, he's very likable, man. Yeah. Very, very likable. Uh, he doesn't come off as a douche, 
just like you you hear all the answers and all the stuff. He, he's got kind of a higher pitched voice too. Like you just don't expect it coming out of him. And it just sure. I don't know. Somehow he made it work. I'm not all gonna right. lie. Because I, I, I some people could pull it off. I'm just trying to picture myself like and it's just I don't know. But yeah. he's got a lot of highlights though, so that maybe that helps. Yeah. How long do you have to watch it before it starts to recycle? No, it went off during our interview. I was like, "Hey, man, you got to tap you, you got to tap your screen, get it going again." <laughs> but talked to Sonny Dykes. That was actually the first guy we talked to at Big Twelve Media Day. And one thing, he is he's like the chillest coach ever. My goodness! But he said, I mean, he just came out and said he said he thinks their wide receiver group is going to be better than it was a year ago. And that's a group that had couple draft picks, uh, including a first-rounder in Quentin Johnston. And Sonny Dykes, last time I checked, he knows a thing or two about offensive football. So went ahead and wrote that one down, Ted. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying he's going to be wrong. He could absolutely be right. But that just seems like a wild thing that you – there's no reason to say that. He said it twice. <laughs> he said it and then i kind of did after we were done with the interview i said i heard that correctly you said your wide receiver group's going to be better he's like yeah no hesitation well maybe they got better depth maybe uh, i don't know competitive depth competitive depth they they had a dude last year and i i i will be open to the fact that Across the board, maybe they're a little bit more skilled. Maybe they're more balanced. But I will not buy that they've got a guy capable of the individual plays of Quentin Johnston. Uh, All he said was that they were going to be better at wide receiver as a whole, as a collective unit. So that caught my attention. Uh, Matt Campbell is – he's extremely likable. I mean, the guy's just got a presence in person. He he just does. But this was interesting. He said he thinks they have the best secondary he's had since he's been at Iowa State. So you think about what we have come to expect from that group in the front seven, right? The physicality that they play with at the line of scrimmage, that their backers play with. And how important that secondary is, not only in coverage, right? Of course, but how they spin some things in the back end and how they the some of the unique run fits that they've got. That that seems like a pretty significant statement. And it made me want to buy stock. I don't know if I'm buying stock at Iowa State as an as a team, but it made me think that that defense is gonna be it's gonna be one or two in the conference again. I, I would pick him to be one in the conference, and I, I, I've kind of taken Iowa State as the team that I think has a chance to maybe improve on their position the most of where people have them picked. Um, you know, I, I think that they're going to have the best defense in the conference because that's held up for like the last I don't know however many years in a row, and I wouldn't. I know they've lost some guys, but they keep losing guys, and they keep replacing them with other really solid players it it won't take much for them to be you know competent enough on offense to win a you know more of those tight games 
They had the best defense in the conference last year and the worst offense. And uh, we were the flip of that, by the way. Um, but I think that they can at least improve some offensively, and that could end up, you know, meaning several wins for them. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Will Howard is enormous. I mean, you just compared – and Tyler Shuck's a big a, guy he's a, too. He's a legit 6'6", six, six, right? Oh, not only is he six, he was looking like Ben freaking Roethlisberger. <laughs> I mean, the he dude like Blake is Bell? huge. Is he like Blake Bell? He yes, no, he is a big. You compared him to like Ewers, and Ewers has lost what like Ewers is slight like right now, two hundred five or something. Yeah, he's maybe. slight right now. They'll probably add. You know, I bet you they add like ten more pounds on him before the season rolls around, but. Will Howard looked massive. And I I told him again, hey man, you said have you thought about tight end? <laughs> thought about it. And he laughed because I I had to do a one-on-one interview <laughs> during the season and I told him about that. And so he thought that was funny that I revisited that, but he's come a long way with his confidence. Yeah, I bet. A long way. And just hearing him talk about you know, going through the ups and downs and kind of coming out of the other side and leading that team to a Big 12 championship, it was it was impressive to hear him speak. And and I am if there's any Will Howard stock out there that is that is left, I I, I may purchase some. Just dude, I, he is huge. <laughs> I mean, it's just he was so much bigger than every other quarterback there. It was let's see listed out weight wise. He's got it. Like if he is short of two fifty, I feel like they're lying. You know, <laughs> I I'm not sure what he's what he's listed at, but that is a big, large QB. He's oh. listed at yeah six five two forty two. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, man. With with an offensive line that's returning every starter, mm-hmm. that's a that's a tough physical group. Buddy, get ready for uh, Colin Klein 2.0, quarterback power over and over and over, play action off of it. When you got a big, durable guy like that, they've got some meathead they're going to put in the backfield with him at fullback. I'm sure of it. You're going to get some old-school smash-mouth football, I bet. With, you know, we've seen the ability to spread it out. Yeah, he he mentioned one of the things that he's really been working on is pushing it down the field, right? His deep ball accuracy, you know, outside the numbers, you know, seam routes. So I I think K-State's offense may be able to do a little bit of everything. I can just see it now. They're going to be running this stupid quarterback power, and, you know, he's going to be, like, running the power as he's, like, cocking to throw it to throw the RPO or hit the hit the, the gap and go downhill. Yeah. Going to be cheating. But if if we get to see the Sooners defend that play. We're in the championship, baby. That means we're in the championship game. So s- sign me up to see that in person. Neil Brown, who, by the way, I think is going to come on the podcast again, either this week or next week, trying to get him on before they start camp. That man is pissed off. He's pissed off. He's annoyed. His his football team got picked d- dead last in the media poll, and I would say the best way to say it is he respectfully disagrees 
with that and did not hide it. And I won't lie, man. And he, he knew what he was doing. He came right after me with that 162 returning starts statistic for their offensive line. He targeted me, buttered me up. Mm -hmm. He's like, dude, we're going to be good on the O-line. Everyone thinks we're going to suck. Our offensive line is going to be good. We're going to have a good football team. Now they've got their NIL operation going now. They didn't lose nearly as many key guys like they had over the last couple of years. Now their schedule is really tough, but he kind of convinced me that they're going to be a solid football team. I, this isn't exactly going out on a limb, but I will be shocked. It's what if West Virginia finishes dead last in the big 12 shocked. Yeah. Because he well, was borderline angry about it. There's, it's difficult to have a bad football team with a really good offensive line. It just, just really doesn't happen. What's more common is you're good in several areas, but you're bad on the offensive line. And because of that, you end up being a bad football team whenever really it's not indicative of your overall roster. So the flip of that is a good offensive line makes everyone else way better. And if he believes it, you know, 162 returning starts for their offensive line, you know, sometimes that's a good thing. Other times it means we don't have a way to replace the guys that sucked a year ago. So, um, you know, returning starts isn't always the best gauge. Like right. for Oklahoma, as an example, I don't know. I wouldn't say we have a whole lot of returning starts coming back on our offensive line, but I have a feeling that that unit's going to end up being really good. So um, I don't know. I I don't think they'll finish dead last either. Right. So but, I feel I feel pretty confident about that one. Now, Lance Leipold, love that guy. That's just a football coach, man. And seems like he, just from talking to him, seems like he feels really good about the offense. But – he was very honest about their situation along the defensive line. No, he didn't come out and say it, but I could kind of read between the lines of what he was saying. I don't think they're going to be very good up front defensively. So that is, I don't, that's probably not shocking for people to hear, but I, I think that that group in particular is, is going to hold that football team back just not having the production they need to have or the talent they need to have along the defensive front. So I don't, I don't see the Jayhawks making a, you know, a Cinderella run to being in the mix for the big 12 championship or anything like that. I just not with the way that he was, he kind of talked about his defense. Yeah. You, the way to beat them is going to be keep away. Yeah. You know, just keep Jalen Daniels on the sideline pound that team, uh, pound their front seven with the running game and uh, make it a long, brutal day. Yeah. So a couple other observations I want to run through quickly. Uh, Joey McGuire said Steve Linton, who is a Syracuse transfer, said he thinks he could lead the league in sacks. Went ahead and wrote that one down, even hmm. though that the Sooners don't play uh, the Red Raiders. Thought that was very interesting. Uh, yeah, well, hang on a second. Joey McGuire also said that they have the best quarterback room, not just in the Big 12, but in the entire country. I would respectfully disagree with that. I but, would laughingly disagree with that. But Tyler Shuck, when he was healthy last year, pretty good. And 
we saw it firsthand. He's healthy, well, pretty good player, but yeah. Their their quarterback room isn't even better than Kansas's. I agree with that. Which how in the hell did Leipold convince Jason Bean to not leave? He's he's a wizard. Have you seen that him? guy could start at a ton of places across the country. I completely agree. I mm. I don't know. A nope. couple other things. Uh, Kalani Sataki. You talk about a first-round draft pick for the all-bar fight team. <laughs> that dude is built like a tank, bro. My God. And to hear he him. Play? He played fullback. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fullback at BYU. Okay. Yeah. And to hear him talk about how some some people are doubting their ability to transition into the Big 12, and he kind of felt like it was them. Those, it was those people challenging the physicality of that football team. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. It was uh, – and he's super soft-spoken. It was just like, is this – is he going to kill us? He may kill us. No, it was <laughs> – he was awesome. But it was the first time I got to meet him and, and, and talk to him in, in that fashion. And whew, dude has a presence about him. That's for damn wow. sure. I like that. That's – yeah, I would – I would not – I would find the nearest exit, I think, uh, if a bar fight broke out and El Sataki's hanging around. You you want that guy on your side <laughs> for sure. I was so nice to him after. I was like, oh, thanks so much for for taking the time. I was like, please, please remember this, please, just in case. Oh, he was uh, – yeah, he was a tank. Now – one one thing that was interesting about Houston, right? We're all wondering, hey, how are these new teams going to fare coming in this first year? Their leadership, right? You you talk about Dana Holgerson, talk to him, and then we also talked to their athletic director, Chris Pesman, who was an awesome dude. They're very really realistic about the fact that you know it's going to take them some time to build the depth that they need to have. Now they have they've been recruiting to the Big Twelve move for quite some time. I think Dana told me that. 75 of their 85 scholarship guys were recruited to play in the big 12, which I thought was interesting, but yeah, they were the most, I, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but they were, I think they were just the most honest of the new schools where they're like, Hey man, it's going to gonna take a little bit, right? We're going to learn a lot in this first year and we'll see, hopefully we can win some football games. It was, it was really interesting to hear them speak so honestly about it. Yeah. That's what a lot of people have been saying, and um, I I fully expect that, and, and I expect it. I, I think that between you know the four new schools coming in, I think they're clearly in the in the worst position starting off. But I do think that it is it's it's probably going to be um, it's probably going to be uh, a growing pain and like going through some of that stuff for a lot of these schools, but, and it's, and it gets back to the depth thing, right? You know, just you're going up against big schools with a lot of money that have been at this at the power five for a long time, because, you know, and people are going to try and say the same thing about Oklahoma to the sec. It's just a different world where, you know, you're, 
your football programs in the in the Big Twelve have been bringing in you know thirty five plus million dollars a year, and from the AAC and you know these conferences were you're talking about like even single digit millions for their TV deal like that is a huge amount of ground to try and make up and you know it'll take them a little bit but I think they'll get there and and you and I both agree that the Big 12 conference is going to be really really competitive yeah now I straight up asked Houston's athletic director about what he thought about some people saying Dana Holgerson's on the hot seat this season he said he's not and he's his boss so it would, I, I mean, I straight up asked the guy and he was like, yeah, that's uh that's stupid. He's not. So take that for what it's worth. And then last observation. And I know you're going to love this. It didn't dawn on me until I saw him in person, like in a suit, dapped him up, hugged him. Jaboy Hodge is built exactly like Brian Asamoah. Plays and- a lot like him too. That it all it all just clicked when I saw him in person, right? We had seen him, you know, I'd seen him down on the field level right, as a player, but just seeing him in person and like the way that he it was it was the way that he walked in a weird. I know that sounds so weird, but it instantly reminded me of Osamoa. And I'll tell you this: Jamoy Hodge is rather motivated that he was not on the preseason All Big Twelve team. Should be and. Cause I I put him on mine, and he was like, "Bro, I'm gonna I'm gonna go prove you right." So I am very interested in the type of season he is going to have. But yeah, Hodge Asamoah, that's my player comp. There you go. I feel bad for quarterbacks out there if he's on uh, even more of a war path this year. Buckle the chin strap, gentlemen. <laughs> Buckle up. That's awesome. All right. Anything else that you heard? From the other schools of Big 12 Media Day that kind of stood out. I kind of hogged that entire thing, but no, I, I did 15 so. hours of radio from there. So I had a I, I had I a lot of observations. I think all that's really good. You know, I'm I am uh I'm I remain and am growing more bullish on Kansas State uh as the season gets near. Yeah. I I'll tell you, man, Chris Kleiman's cool as hell. And that guy was walking around there. I told him, I, I started calling him Peacock. <laughs> We've got a good relationship, right? He comes on the radio show that I do for Sirius quite often. And I was like, dang, Peacock, just walking around with the chest puffed out, you know, showing the feathers off. Champion, <laughs> huh? And he, he was just like, I, what, what, I, I'm just acting like myself. I was, I was giving him a bunch of shit. But he That's was, funny. you could tell he felt good about his football team. So good. I... And I, he was like, we're not, we don't have a Deuce Vaughn. He's like, but we've got, got some guys in that backfield and at the skill positions we feel really good about. So I don't know. I just, I have a bunch of confidence in him. Yeah. And just, he, he's done a great job of blending like that old school mentality, right? Of accountability, discipline, physicality, and then playing enough of the new school like buttery up, love on you at the proper times. Like he, he blends it well, and it's a, it's a, it's a hard blend. And I think that, I think he's doing, he's doing a really good job. And I just, I got a ton of confidence in him because 
I don't know the results, man. The results are there. It's there. And, and some people, it's clear, don't know what he did at North Dakota State. Like they treat Chris Kleiman like this is some underdog story. The dude won five national titles in a row at one point. Yeah. I mean, he had it rolling. Yeah. So I, the perfect that was with, they made players. the perfect hire for I Kansas agree. State. Between the way that he was carrying himself and me realizing that Will Howard's the biggest human being alive, I was like, damn, Kansas State. Yeah, I feel I feel good about our selection that they're going to play in the Big 12 championship game. And it, it's, a, it's a school that's easy to root for, too. Yeah. It's my, my dad's alma mater. Really? It's yeah, my grandma's it's like, alma mater. Look at us. Look at us. We'll we'll be cheering for the Wildcats to make it the Big 12 title, right? That'd be the OU Kansas State, the Big 12 championship game, and OU's last Big 12 season. Be That'd awesome. be a lot of fun. Sign me up. I know that – never mind. I'm just not even going to bring it up. We'll Come on, on, dude. I know where you're going with that. No, nope, I... we're moving on. We're moving on. 20-year reunion. Ugh. You said it, <laughs> not me. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma City. Grounded in a faith-based education, students prepare to meet their potential with an individualized academic path that strives for success. Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, where they've won over 100 state championships and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica compares coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Insurica's goal is to help you avoid a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and control your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too if your business wants to be best in class. Connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I had to go with the Spaniard, Alcaraz, knocking off uh, Novak Djokovic in the finals, Wimbledon. Uh, Djokovic was going, what, to be only the third male to win five straight Wimbledon titles. Not so fast. Alcaraz knocked him off. A uh, young dude on the come up uh, was one seed and... It looked like early on he was a bit shell shocked by that first set. Woo, being so what six one, looked like Djokovic was going to roll, but from that point on he found it, and you could tell he had more snap. He had Djokovic on defense the entire time. was a was a really good match. Went all the way. Um, what they? How long was the total time there? It was it felt like forever. It it had to be so. I ate breakfast and we were watching it as we were eating breakfast. We went out on the boat. I fell off a wake surf board a bunch of times, got up some, but fell off a bunch of times, was able to come back, eat lunch, did like a Pilates and yoga routine in front of the TV. And it still wasn't over. 
<laughs> it was uh, insane. It lasted almost five hours. It was crazy. Highly competitive. Um, you know, came down to that last that last game there. It was really impressive. What can you say? Um, Djokovic is still playing really well. Feels like he's been doing it forever now. And uh, see a, a young kid come in and knock him off. That's what you want, though, to keep the sport progressing. Yeah, he is. I mean, the quickness, good serve, the speed, some of the drop shots. I was like, yeah, come on, young fella. And remember, what is he, 20 years old? I was like, come on, young fella. He can't be making the old man run to the net like that. That's rude. That's disrespectful. I, mean, I felt like every time I looked up, Djokovic was getting up off the grass, you know, because he was diving for balls and slipping, trying to chase things down. And, and he had him running all over the place. It was really impressive. Yeah. Fun to watch, too. Crowd was great. I mean, uh, Djokovic got all pissed off and slammed a racket and got booed. It was awesome. I, uh, I clearly Alcaraz is going to be an absolute star if he can stay through healthy throughout his career. I mean, the fact that he, what he won that U.S. Open a year ago as a teenager, technically, yeah. right? So you're winning Wimbledon at 20. You're beating who I believe is the best to ever do it. And the sky's the limit for that dude. I mean, it absolutely is. But yep. did you watch the speeches after the match? No. As soon as it was over and they had their little hug at the net, I was done. I I was absolutely dialed into it. Djokovic is Djokovic. I, I'm starting to blend him and the basketball player. Yeah. Yeah. Djokovic. His speech after the match was so damn good. I mean, it had everything. He he showered Alcaraz with praise, a little self-deprecating, some really good jokes that landed, teared up at one point. I mean, it you talk about as as good of a of a second place speech you're ever gonna hear. He he absolutely crushed it. And as I was watching it. I was watching it with my wife's uncle and we both were like, why did, why does everyone not like this guy? Like he is, this is fantastic. It was, I don't know. it I, was, it was really good, dude. Does he, is he not liked? I, I've always liked him. He kind of does have a de demeanor to where he looks like he's he Serbian. Be a jerk. Yeah. yeah that, 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 that's kind of just how they look, you know, right. But just hearing him, and his presence on the mic, and clearly the guy is, I mean, he's, he's been there, right? He's been on yeah. the biggest stages in the sport, right? He is who he is, but I mean, he was working the crowd. It was, it was a fantastic speech. It was good. And, I could tell that he was, you know, whenever they went to the net afterwards, he was very like congratulatory and smiling and, you know, well, there was no, I lost it. It was all you won it. Yeah. You know? And that's not always the case. Yeah. No, he, he could not have been more complimentary to Alcaraz in his speech afterwards. And Alcaraz's speech was great too. I mean, he's great. That guy is going to be an absolute start. Now, now maybe you don't change anything, but maybe we could, Know, trim the neck up a little bit for the Wimbledon final, maybe get the beard looking a little more lined up, or 
maybe all he focuses on is on tennis and that's why he is who he is. So maybe hey, don't worry about the appearance at all. You know, I, I was long, a little unkempt, just a little. He is 20 though. Let me ask you if, if you started, how long is the entire Wimbledon tournament? Two weeks. That's what I thought. Yeah. It's a long, you, long time. If, if you started off day one, totally freshly shaved everything was you showed up day one looking perfect and you're there for the tournament and you don't get a haircut you don't shave you don't do anything the entire time you're there what would you look like at the end of two weeks my my hair would look fine right because i would plan it out right i would plan out the haircut i would have the haircut before i got there you know right the beard beard would look great you know that like it I, would i i did i i because i think that that's it doesn't probably, take a long time to line it up dude around the neck area like it just doesn't it's like a hockey playoff beard you don't touch i see it. what you're saying yeah yeah no i'd have an intense like it, it there'd be a lot going on for sure yeah you think he's that superstitious at 20 i don't Could know be. elite it's, athletes are usually weirdos like that so yeah i would probably. say at 20, it's just more likely that he doesn't care or didn't think about it or is too lazy. Well, or, or the amount of time that he had to like his downtime was spent playing Fortnite and not <laughs> touching up on the on the grooming. Well, now that he is the number one player in the world, right? Which he was coming into the tournament and just won Wimbledon. His I don't know if he has a publicist. His people, his manager, his people are maybe be like, Hey, Carlos, let's just, let, let, you know, camp. we're trying to get all these sponsors. Let's, let's try to just, just clean it up a little bit, you know? Yeah. It is one of those things too, though. And some people can master this look bad often enough to where whenever you do get all nice and cleaned up, it's like, Whoa, look at this guy. He's looking sharp. Maybe yeah. he's doing some of that, but I think that moment would maybe be at the Wimbledon final whenever you want to. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Pop. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. All right. Who do you have as your, that was an awesome match though. One of the yeah, best tennis great. matches I've watched in a really long time. And did you watch any of the women's not to go down the rabbit hole, but do you see, what was it? Vondrosova, Vondrosova, something like that. Unseated wins the whole thing. That, that was crazy. crazy. I watched quite a bit of that too. That's crazy. I did not see any of that, but they were talking about it. That's uh Ons, Ons Gilbert just can't can't get it done in the final, man. Yeah. I don't even know what the equivalent to that is. Like Ooh, you know, you know what you need to do. You know Drive to Survive, Formula One. Yeah. On Netflix, there's a tennis version called Breakpoint that my wife and I started watching. Really good. Are you have you started watching the quarterback thing? I haven't watched it yet. But I've heard good things. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I've got plenty of stuff I need to get to. Absolutely. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the weekend? Man, I got to tell you, it's Georgia. Mm. It's piling up. Yep. So we've we've continued to hear the narrative about all of the all of the the driving issues that they've had. Everyone obviously knows about the uh, you know, the tragedy there after the national championship celebration. Um, well, now, Victoria Bowles, who 
was a survivor of one of the car crashes the uh, of the she was in the actual car the car that wrecked um, she's suing the University of Georgia and she's suing the Jalen Carter uh, the player that was driving the allegedly driving the other SUV that they were racing um like I don't know who's what like she, She's saying that there's a lot of discrepancies and that the, the University of Georgia is lying, saying that I guess they said that the the other girl that was driving should not have been driving. But I guess in her suit, she's alleging that there's a bunch of text messages and communications with the um, athletic department saying that she had the vehicle until the next day. And I don't know. It's just not to get into I don't know the legality and all that situation. It's just a more bad look, right? Yeah. And more stuff that they have to fight off. And it's been, it's been a lot over the last six, seven months or so that they've had to deal with. And, you know, it doesn't appear to be hurting them on the recruiting trail right now, but I, if these things keep popping up at some point, it's either going to start to hurt them in recruiting or it's going to become a distraction to the football team in some way, shape, or form. Right. That's in clearly, you know, college football players at other schools make stupid choices as well. Right. But you're the back-to-back national champs. You are, you are in the spotlight. You, you are under the magnifying glass. Right. And as these things happen, Man, yeah, that that reputation starts to build a little bit. And now as long as they continue to put guys into the NFL and win a bunch of football games, I mean it may sound bad. I'm not I'm not sure the other stuff really matters that much in the eyes of some recruits mm-hmm. and their parents, but yeah, it's just you're Kirby Smart. There's already enough to deal with as a college football coach with how all of it works now, the fact that you're having to fight against this uh, and to deal with the legal ramifications of it, it just, it's got to be a huge pain in the ass, man. Yeah, not good. It, you know, the whole situation is bad enough to begin with, but right. you know, just just talking about like what it means for their football program, um, maybe it means nothing if, they don't have any other issues and you know, they continue to go out there and play really good football. Like this doesn't turn into something, but all like this has moved a really big magnifying glass, which, you know, you win two national championships. There's already going to be a big magnifying glass starting to show up, but you have a couple of little cracks in the facade and some things showing up and people start talking and the newspapers have a reason to start digging around and it doesn't take long for everyone to become um, – you just carry that burden around with you of what all's happening. And, you know, m- maybe it's – maybe it doesn't mean anything, but maybe it takes away from your focus. Maybe it takes away from, from what you've always done is just go out and win football games. Now you're given depositions and what did you know and, like, what are you allowing and – it digging into your your text messages and your communications it's just becomes something that i know that they don't want to deal with right now so i 
I don't I don't know. I I'm not picking Georgia as a national championship this year, and it doesn't have anything to do with this. But at some point, I you got to wonder is is this the fuse that's been lit to kind of bring it all down? Yeah, we'll see. All right, let's get to my winner and loser. But first. John Vance Auto Group has been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family-owned and operated. They've got nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way, which is why they have their lifetime loyalty program. And here's how it works buy a new or used car from them then all you have to do is get all of the manufacturer recommended maintenance done at the Vance dealership and if something goes wrong with the components of your engine transmission drive axle or transfer unit they will cover the repair costs it's a great deal you can browse their entire inventory or find the john vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com and First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. Ladies and gentlemen, make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. All right, for my winner of the weekend, thought about going with Sabrina Ionescu. WNBA All-Star Weekend this weekend. She won the three-point contest. Set an all-time WNBA or NBA record in the three-point contest with 37 points. Happened in the final round. Ted, she hit 25 of 27 threes, and she hit 20 in a row. It was insane. That's crazy. Wow. (laughs) 20 in a row. Uh, that's, uh, that's impressive. 37 points. Fine. Do it in the final round too, which is really cool. That's yeah. awesome. No, it was, it was crazy to watch. That was, uh, she put on an absolute show, but my winner of the weekend, Josh Heupel and the Tennessee volunteers, little slap on the wrist for yeah. all the transgressions that Jeremy Pruitt did there as his time, as he was the head coach. Uh, and remember when Heupel took the job, the Pruitt stuff, like that had all just gone down. The school essentially had outed itself. And, you know, Hypo really didn't know what that punishment was going to look like when it got delivered. And it's here. The NCAA fra- infractions committee came down, $8 million fine, some scholarship losses, which are not insignificant, but they're able to kind of smooth it over several years. Uh, got a reduction in visits, limits on recruiting contacts. They got to vacate wins. But no bull ban. Uh, so no postseason ban, which is a huge win for Josh Heupel and a huge win for that program, especially coming off the season that they had a year ago. So nothing nothing in the punishment that will really significantly affect the current or future players in that program, which you and I have talked about. That's that's how we feel it should be. But this feels like a it feels like a big win for Heupel and for that program especially since there were 200 individual infractions in the report. I just, I don't even know what to say, but this thing is no longer hanging over them like it was. And I'm sure hype is very excited to just get to move on. 
Yeah. I read some of the breakdown and I guess Jeremy Pruitt and his wife, Casey were uh, themselves making cash payments to players, families. (laughs) That's wild, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But Hey, and and Pruitt got a six year show cause. I believe I read this correctly. If he gets hired by school, like he's automatically suspended for the first year. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to see him in college coaching anytime soon, but you, you look at what Tennessee's done with their collective. I got a feeling they're going to be able to manipulate some things to where, you know, those, those scholarship reductions, they'll be able to have guys that they may be walk-ons, but they will be, they won't be paying for school if I had to guess. So it'll be interesting to see how they navigate that. Right. And that's, not against the rules by any means now, but the other thought I had is, man, Mike Boynton and Oklahoma State basketball, they just have to be so mad. Oh, my God. They gosh. did, like, one thing wrong and got banned from the NCAA tournament, and Tennessee had 200 infractions, and they're like, now you guys can play in your bowl game. It's fine. It just, it's just – it's insane. Man. It's crazy. I'll, I'll, I mean, I guess maybe Tennessee – um went along with this and you know they outed themselves and then i guess they worked at the ncaa but i don't know the precedent in my mind has been set that it doesn't matter what you did and how guilty you are you do not go along with the ncaa at all you just delay 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 now in the report the ncaa was like oh tennessee cooperated so well that's why they're not getting hammered it that's exactly what Oklahoma State did, and they got the NCAA tournament, man. It has to be so infuriating. It has to I mean, be. It's got to be so infuriating. All right. For my loser of the week, end. I went back and forth, but I I, I thought about going uh, – I thought about going with Robert McIntyre, right? If you were watching – there was a lot of sports this weekend, by the way. But the Scottish Open, right? We've got the Open next week. Scottish Open always leads into – leads into it but Robert McIntyre is a guy that is from Scotland and he looked like he was going to win the Scottish Open right hit just an incredible three wood out of the rough into a massive win on 18 to set himself up for a birdie and he takes a one-shot lead into the clubhouse but Rory McIlroy man just too good birdie 17 to tie for the lead and then on 18 hits just an absolutely ridiculous cut two iron <laughs> into just like a it, monsoon right? win. And then it was what I don't know, eight to ten feet the putt. It was not an easy putt and makes it to, so he goes birdie on 17, birdie on 18 to win the tournament. I I really felt for Robert McIntyre. It's like you they cut to him, and it was like he just had his soul ripped out of his body. I felt so bad. What are you gonna do? I mean when you're standing there watching and you've got the uh, lead, I guess they would have been tied at that point, right? But a guy's got a two iron into a win. You've got to feel pretty – I mean, if of all the clubs to pick in someone's bag that you want them hitting at that, it's probably the two iron, right? Yeah. It just – he just nailed it. It was unbelievable. It Did was- you see him hit the persimmon driver earlier in the week? Yeah. That, that was, was cool. pretty cool. That was yeah. pretty cool. But 
I ultimately ended up playing. I thought about going with Tony Romo because he was the defending champ there at the American Century Championship and didn't seem to play overly well for him. But I'm just going with every athlete that was there that's not Steph Curry. Man stole the show. Dude, he absolutely stole the show. He's he's the best shooter ever. He's the best shooter in the history of basketball. And the guy's awesome at golf, too. Just just eagled 18 to win the tournament. So he is your American Century champion. Championship champion. I think I had I said a hole in right. one, too, right? That's what I'm saying. Like the hole in one in the celebration, like him just running all the way down there. It just the guy I, you know, absolutely it, it is a field of famous people and a bunch of hyper competitive people because a bunch of them are former athletes and he absolutely stole the show and he's still playing basketball like it just he's an I, annoyingly good athlete yeah i feel like there's got to be there's quite a bit of carryover from i'm not saying it's like the same movement as shooting a basketball but clearly he is proficient in replicating the same exact movement over and yeah. over right yeah so and the fact that he's a basketball player but he's not six foot ten with like you know and having to to go golf with that type of frame you know it it actually i guess sets up real well for him as clearly he's good at it <laughs> he's he's annoyingly good and he holds his fall through way too long. I mean, it's just, but Hey, it's working, man. It's working. I, I know I was, when he hit the hole in one, I was watching it live. It was awesome. I mean, it was oh. awesome, but there was part of me that was really the guy's good enough at one thing, right? He's good enough at one thing, but Hey, you know, hey, what? the seven times a year that I hit a really good shot, just like I want to, I mean, I make the perfect contact. The ball does, exactly what I envisioned it was going to. I hold that follow through as well. You know, I sit there and stare seven times a year, <laughs> seven times a year. <laughs> Fair enough. Congrats to Seth Curry. You're awesome at golf too. Good for you. Mm. On that note, episode 336 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Wednesday. Just a reminder. You can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have an awesome start to your week. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. We always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one.